Please stand for the reading of the word from Philippians 3. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord, please be seated. Good morning, Highland. My name is Shane Hughes. I'm uh, one of the ministers here. And uh, whether this is kind of your church home or you're here uh, for one of the homecomings this weekend or uh, you're with us online, we're really glad to have you here. I am particularly grateful for David Sessions, who uh, just shared with you uh, for preaching last week. He was, uh, there was a kind move for my family. Um, and I loved what he said. He said that everything that Paul did in his life went from gold to garbage. And, and he's, he's, we're looking at the text of, of everything that I have, I count as loss in light of viewing uh, Christ Jesus as my Lord. And I, I find that fascinating. And I, and I wonder about all the things that Highland does well. The acts of hospitality that we do well. The acts of service like breakfast on Beach Street. I love the, the mission work that we have, our partnerships in Southeast Asia to end child sex trafficking. The work that we do in, in Myanmar to help uh, people have basic necessities like, like food. The work that happens with the homeless in Brazil. And the work that happens here in this place like our excellent children's ministry and student ministry. The work that happens in, in the jails when we visit. The, the work that happens all over this city. The commitments that you made uh, several weeks ago to be Christ in those places. All of those things, all of the good work count as nothing in comparison of knowing Jesus Christ, our Lord. We cannot lose our focus on the one main thing. Will you pray with me, please? Be thou our vision. Father, I pray that you burn so brightly in our eyes, in our hearts, and in our minds, that we can discern what your good will is. And Father, more than just seeing the good that you are doing in this world, Father, give us the courage to follow you through those places. Father, we know that close to your side is the safest and most effective place we can ever be. That it changes the meaning of our lives, that it changes the purpose of our days, that it changes everything. So Father, now I pray in this time that we've gathered that you will do the work to transform us, to reorder our values, our loves, and our passions, so that it might be you and only you. And Father, now as we enter this time into your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth and love to these, your people. And it's together that the church says, Amen. Amen. We've been going through this study in Philippians for the last 
uh, several months. If you have your Bible, turn it open to Philippians chapter 3. You're going to want to read this. It was a couple of, I don't know, maybe like six or eight weeks ago that, that Natalie was going through my closet, just kind of like organizing things. And she kind of shuffled through and she looked back and she said, why are there all of these shirts that you never wear? They just sit here in the back. What's the deal? And I looked at Natalie and I said, well, those are my 185 shirts. And she said, 185, is, is that like a brand anymore? I said, no, those are my 185 shirts. Here's my 192 shirts. That's where I'm at right now. Uh, <laughs> amen. Um, and so I got to tell you, I have these 185 shirts, and that kind of convinced me that, like, all right, if I'm going to use my full wardrobe, uh, I ought to do some work. And so I had a Coke, and I, and I, I wrote a 185 on a sticky note, and I, I put it in the fridge. That became my 185 Coke. That was the Coke that I was going to drink when I hit 185. Now, I've been drinking other Cokes since then, but that's my 185 Coke. And then I grew a 185 beard. You know, I'm, when I hit that, that's a good spot. And, and then, then you want to engage in this in a meaningful way. And so, like... I decided to give intermittent fasting a shot, which is basically like skipping breakfast, not that hard. And so I tried to start rowing, which is like a really good full body workout. I'll pick that up. I'll take up running again, which is a terrible, a horrible idea. But, but in my process of running, I met Aaron, who is my virtual running coach. And Aaron and I go for runs all the time. I'm an extra introvert, uh, I, I, um, and, but Aaron is my pal. And I, I put on my headphones, and, and Aaron is there. Aaron encourages me. Aaron keeps me going. Aaron says good things like, your body was made to run. You are a runner. Uh, but, but every time before we begin the run, Aaron asks me the same question. Aaron asks, what is your intention? And Aaron makes me say it out loud, which I imagine is strange to all of those people going crossways against me at Redbud, that I'm just kind of plodding along, and all of a sudden I just start talking. She, she asked me the question, what is your intention? Every time, every time I say my intention. Because I don't know if you experience this like me, but when I want to fit into the 185 shirt, I kind of like, you know, pick it up and put it down and, and, and eat a little better until I get there. And then I'm like, well, I'm glad I got there. And then you know what happens? I drink the 185 Coke. <laughs> but Aaron's asking me, what are you, what are you doing this for? What are you here for? And, and at first, my answer was, I want the 185 Coke. But, but now the answer is different. In my family, there's a lot of history of heart disease, and, and men tend to die early. And I started late with my kids. My intention now, and this is what I say, well, I don't care who's coming near me. What's my intention? I want to see, I want to see three marriages, and I want to see some grandkids. I want to be around for that. What's your intention? Why are you here? What is it all for? In verse 12 and 14, Paul uses a particular word to describe the Christian walk, to describe the Christian journey. He says, I press. I press on. And what's interesting about this word, if you have your Bible, you're going to look at it in just a second. What's interesting about this word is that this isn't the only time he says it in chapter 3 in Philippians. 
Now remember earlier in what you heard last week, Paul kind of talks about his, his credibility for being an apostle of all the things that he's done. And in verse 6, he uses that word again, to, to press. But it doesn't show up when you look at it. He says, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That's the same word originally, persecute and press. It's hard to find because the way, in two ways it's translated given the context, but it's literally the same word. How does that work out? How does it look like persecute in one verse and then six verses later it's press? Well, originally the root of that word is to chase or to pursue. Another way uh, to think about it was is in battle. It's to pound your enemy. It's the way a lion pursues its prey. What Paul is talking about there is relentless focus. Relentless focus. He's talking about the focus like a one-year-old that barely learned to crawl like six weeks ago can shoot across the house finding the quickest route possible to the bathroom so he can put his hand in the toilet. He's talking about the focus that allows an 11-year-old to stay up all night reading the most recent Harry Potter book. That was my nephew. Focus can do powerful things. Focus can take light, which when it shines, goes in every direction. Focus can turn that into a laser, which is extremely powerful. You may not know how I know so much about lights and lasers, but when you lower the, the, uh, the, the ray, I forget. Anyway, it's an encyclopedia. But, but what I do know is I had this experience when I was driving in Southern California. If you're going north on one of the highways, what you see on the side of the road is this tower. And at the top of the tower, it is this brilliant, shining light. In the middle of the day, there's like, I think there's three towers, three or four towers. And each one of them has the brightest light you've ever seen. And it's really curious. You can see it from miles away. And as you get closer and closer, you realize there's not a light on the top of the tower. Rather, there's just a boiler. What's below the tower is thousands of parabolic mirrors. These mirrors that are curved in such a way so it takes all the sunlight that hits the mirror and focuses it on one point, and that's the top of the tower. It's just sunlight hitting several acres of ground that has been focused into one place, and in that one place, it can get to over a thousand degrees. And if a if a chicken, I mean, a chicken can't fly that high, but if a chicken were to fly into that spot, you would instantly have, like, cooked chicken. It would fall right into your hands. It would be amazing. <laughs> Jesus, or excuse me, Paul says, I press on to make it my own. Now, now what is the it that he's talking about? And that's referring back to verse 10, the, the knowing Christ. And what you hear, verse 10, what I want you to hear is the echo of the hymn back in Philippians chapter 2. Remember, Christ who was God, who gave up godliness, gave up everything, the experience of heaven to become human, not only became human, but became a slave, not only be slave, but became subject to death, not only death, but death on a cross. The God who stoops, the God that comes down, the God that comes to earth so that we might know who God is. He says, I want to know Christ, to share in his suffering, to be conformed in his death. 
I press on to make that knowledge of Christ my own because Christ made me his own. And here's the thing about Christianity. It's not something you can just pick up. It's not just picking up an app so that you can learn to jog again. It's not just reading a book or joining a book club. It's not doing some yoga or some meditation because it's just going to kind of help you for a while. That's not how Christianity works. You have to have laser-like focus in your life to make it your own because Christ made you his focus. And I think that might be harder for some of us that grew up going to church. Because we didn't have that kind of conversion moment, that kind of moment where everything changed in our life. You kind of grew up knowing the good and following God and loving who Jesus was. And you never experienced that kind of moment of change like Paul did. Or, or maybe you did. Maybe you grew up thought going to church meant one thing, but then you realized it became something else. And it, it doesn't that conversion it doesn't necessarily be any one thing. I think for some people it was it was an emotional experience because they're emotional people. For others, it's a mystic encounter where they experience the mysteriousness of the unknown and that just stayed in their head and they had to reflect on what that meant. Or, or for others, it's a rational inbreaking that week by week, month by month, they, they, they thought their way into God's love. But what is true is that all of us encountered an, an other who brought us to something who imposed something, who gave something. Christians just don't pick up Christianity and keep doing it for a while. That's not how this works. This is the intensity that we experience. The church cannot remain a casual thing. We know that these, you, we, we are our people. It's not just showing up on Sunday. It's, it's being together. And experiencing the wonder of God in worship. Of reminded who is welcome at the table and why we've been brought together. Of experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit that transforms lives. What we experience is the truest sense of who we are and what we do. We glorify the God who saved us. And here's the thing, Paul says... Forgetting what's behind and straining for what's ahead, I press on. Forgetting what's behind. The, the good news is God cares very little about your past. And, and there may have been some real terrible things that you've done. There may have been some awful things that you engaged in. I think Paul would say, yeah, that was, that was kind to me. I got it all twisted and I was, I was doing some terrible things. The good news is that the record has been wiped clean. God does not care about your past. Even if it's how great you were and how many wonderful things that have gone on. God doesn't care about that either. That's like you wearing your letter jacket to college, think you're really going to impress somebody. God doesn't care about that. What matters is the focus. As you press on, straining to win the prize. The best thing a doctor can tell you from a medical standpoint is to keep moving. I, uh, I read this fascinating article. It was this um, emergency room, uh, emergency department doctor talking about 
uh, some things he reflected on over the course of his 20 years in an ED. And he, he said something fascinating to me. He said, when, uh, whenever he saw a 90-plus-year-old person that was coming into the emergency department, one thing that they had in common, one thing across the board that they had in common was that they were still moving that they would garden, that they would get out and walk, that they had a, a reason to get, to get going. And this doctor goes on to say that sedentary habits will kill you. So get up, go for a walk. If you have a sedentary job and then you come home to a sedentary couch and then you go lay down and go to bed in a sedentary way, that's going to kill you. The same is true to avoid a sedentary mind. Forget what's behind and strain for what is ahead. Run the way race to win the prize. The prize is knowing Jesus, to know the power of his rising, to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And I want to talk for a minute about why this matters. Because this isn't just winning some prize like you've, you've secured your seat in heaven um, so that you get to experience uh, glory one day. Although that is a part of what the promise of Christianity is. What also is true is that what we experience right now is the unfolding of God's kingdom. It's the reality of God coming. And so some of our experience right now is a reflection, a foretaste on what is to come one day. We run in such a way to win the prize. It was in the mid-1990s that a whistleblower came forward about some, they had some documents in their company that they gave to the federal government. And the documents were frankly just evidence of not only their company, but an entire industry, what they had been doing. They had realized that the best way to get a lifelong customer was to catch them very early, like 13, 14 years old. And it's great to catch a lifelong customer when they're in their 60s or their 70s, but frankly, that person doesn't have the same horizon as a 13 or 14-year-old. And so let's get the young ones real early so that we ensure that we have lifetime commitment. The, the, the other thing that this, this industry was doing was making their product more addictive by adding certain substances to the product so that a person would be hooked and be a repeat customer. You know who I'm talking about, right? Big, big tobacco. Adding chemicals to cigarettes that made them more addictive so that you'd have more repeat business. And if we're going to target anybody, we might as well target our marketing towards 13 or 14-year-olds. That way, we have more longer client base. When your goal is to increase shareholder value, doing evil is a sometimes byproduct of your pursuit. Fast forward 25 years. And then last week, Francis Hagen, who's a, a Facebook, former Facebook employee, gave a set of documents of evidence to the federal government. Internal data that proves that social media is damaging to teens, particularly girls. She released one study that found that 13% of British teen girls in one survey said their suicidal thoughts became more frequent after starting on Instagram. Another linked to study that said 17% of teens say their eating disorders got worse after using Instagram. 
that about 32%, one in three of teen girls said that they, when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. Facebook researchers found, as was first reported in the Wall Street Journal, Facebook exploited teens using powerful algorithms that amplified their insecurities. The social media company found a target market audience of 13-year-olds and then took their product and made it more addictive. Sometimes, when your goal is to increase shareholder value, doing evil is a byproduct of your pursuit. And this is why we must be absolutely relentless in our pursuit of holiness. We must be absolutely relentless in our pursuit of God's good mercy. It looks like holy discontent. And I want to tie those two words together. Holy discontentment. It's a restlessness that drives us forward. And, and discontentment separated from the love of Christ can leave you in a state of stupor, kind of lazy or drifting. This isn't what you'd hoped for. It's disappointing. So you kind of check out and give up. That's a different kind of discontentment. I'm talking about holy discontentment. I'm talk, talking about the, the press that Paul has. But it also makes you look like a holy contentment. What that discontentment makes it look like is that you're not going to stand for that kind of stuff. And these are just two companies that, that we can talk about, but there's several others from accounting practices to, to many others that will choose to do something evil in light of profit. And that same thing can happen if you're not focused in your own family. But there's also holy contentment. That when we have the focus on the one thing that matters, everything else finds perspective. Everything else finds its proper place and its proper parole in your own life. One of my kids uh, found a dime. He was so thrilled. It was this shiny dime. It was probably the most money that he ever kind of discovered for himself in his entire life. And he loved that dime. And he held it in his hands. And he looked at it. And he said, Dad, look at dime. He was so proud of that dime. Well, he put it in his pocket. And uh, we went and we played. And he was rolling down this hill over and over and over. And sure enough, he puts his hand in his pocket. And he pulls it out. And there's no dime there. And he's devastated. He lost his dime, his wealth, his hoard. But doesn't he know he's part of my house? He's part of a family that has lots of dimes. A family that's going to take care of him. And the truth is, so do you. You have a place and a house and a home. You have a place with a family and a father who is relentlessly pursuing you. And so we have the same focus as we pursue to do the right, a holy discontent. For the course of this series, 
We've been singing the same song over and over, yet not I, but Christ through me. And I, I hope that you've been, I love these modern hymns with rich, rich depth of theology. And I want to read you this, this last line, this, this song that we've been singing that's, that's been our prayer. And I want that to be our benediction. Would you please stand? To this we hold, our only hope is Jesus. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete, still our lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. May you this week be bold with holy discontentment. May you find the place in your life where Christ is calling you for laser focus. And may we have the courage to be part of what God is doing to change this world. Go in peace.